Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Kevin, how about this? We didn't even... I don't know where you were scouring through, whether you're on Facebook or whatever, but you just came up with, you just unearthed the nugget of the morning. You know, Matthew, I think he gave you a, re- a ring this morning, right, to try and wake you up? That is correct, yes. Uh, he just alerted that it's Mark Dykton's birthday. You guys are such good friends. You knew right out of the gate. When's my birthday? September. What? It's third. How the hell did you know that? Boy, I mean, to be I, f- to be fair, Mark, I think we went the entire show of my birthday and without any mention. So yeah, I think we're good on that yeah. front. Yeah. Well, we had a shout out. Your your wife put something together, I think, didn't she? Was that? Yeah, that's, no, no, that, no, that was Father's that Day. That was Father's when Day. When is your birthday? Uh, so, well, see, this is the, the, the yours was on a weekend, wasn't this it? This would be news. No, no, no. It, it was on a show day, September eighteenth. Oh yeah, that's right. It was. Uh, you know what? I knew that because that's Kelly Mallon's birthday. I'll have to remember that next time. Now, granted, <laughs> I knew that it was someone else's birthday. Right. You exactly. Are, now, hold on. You, you are thirty, Mark. You oh, are thirty. Don't do it. Hold on, thirty-three, right? Me? No, Kevin. Kevin, I'm sorry, Kevin. You're thirty-three. Forty-one. Right? So in seven years, it, not like we'll be doing a show. Uh, it'll be a blowout show because it'll what? be your fortieth, right? Like I'm done with landmark birthdays. Is my problem, Mark? You are what? And today's the big three-seven. Nice. Who's your all-time favorite number thirty-seven? If I could pull a thirty, I was trying to think about that as a Lester Lester famous number thirty-seven. Sounds like a Cubs reliever. Lester Hayes. I need to look it up. I don't even know who's the most famous 37. Any big plans tonight, Mark? It was kind of this weekend. We kind of did all that stuff. The Opryland Hotel. and Nashville action. Yeah, that was kind of it. Going to the casino, all that stuff. So, Especially being in the middle of the week, there's not a ton to do. Ashley's got work, so we might go grab dinner at some point and everything, but... It's one of those middle of the week birthdays where it's like I can't really do much. So yeah, kind of low key. Plus it's thirty seven. Who cares, really? Now will the girls like do something for I'm you? I'm sure or? they will. Yeah, I'm sure they will when I get home and everything. They'll have something cooked up. So. Rodney Harrison. <coughs> That's not I'd a bad with, one. I'd go with Lester Hayes over Rodney Harrison. Mark, or I keep calling you Mark. I don't know. Kevin. It sounds like you might not make it to thirty four. Rodney Harrison. No, I'm saying for your birthday, you're you're over there. I'm worried about both you guys. Of course, I'm mostly worried about me that I'm going to get sick from you guys because, let's face it, in my world, I'm the straw mixing the drink. Um, Kevin, we, we were talking about it yesterday. I mean, there are a couple of things to, to discuss with the Colts on this bye week, but I wanted to get into an article that you wrote um, and a tweet that you had in terms of what you think are kind of the main characteristics that Jim Mercer or the Colts should look for in terms of a coaching search? And is there any individual that jumps out at you as being one who most meets said criteria? Sean Alexander, John mentions. That's a good one, Mark. In terms yeah, I was of just thinking that, that's, that's the, probably the one I'll go with. I'll go with that as the best 37. Yeah, I would say two characteristics stand out more than any. Um, one is, and this is not something that Frank Reich did, uh, but I think in today's NFL, you just need to have more of that CEO leader. You, you you need to have the guy that isn't necessarily locked into that offensive side of the ball for 95% of the week or the defense for 90% of the week. 
He could pick and choose spots. He has a great grasp of when he needs to be in a different spot within his roster, within his coaching staff. Uh, Where do we feel like there's a weakness right now? And maybe I can be there during a given week. I think that's really important. And I think it was really lacking. Honestly, you could say in the Chuck Pagano era, even though he didn't call plays, I think it was more of that defensive mindset. That's typically where he was. And he let, you know, the Bruce Arians, the Pep Hamiltons, the Rob Chesinskis of the world run the offensive show. Uh, But I thought when we had Tony Dungy on a few weeks back, he made an interesting point about how Dungy never wanted to be a play caller because he felt like when you do that as a head coach, you're kind of treating the other side of the ball. You're kind of neglecting the other side of the ball. And um, I think that just eventually there's a little bit of wear and tear on that. So when I say CEO, leader type, that's that's what I'm getting at. Nick Sirianni walks into that Philly job, thinks he's going to be the play caller, gets a few games into it, and is like, whoa, this is too much. I got to give this to somebody else. And you kind of just hire other people and l- allow them to handle that stuff, and you could be the CEO on game day. The second quality that I think is extremely important, and this is going to be very difficult to sift through, but if you're Jim Mercer in the interview process, one of the first questions you have to ask these head coaching candidates is, what is your plan to develop a young quarterback? And what happens when your young offensive coordinator walks after two or three years when that young quarterback has early success? How do you maintain that success? Uh, That, to me, is such a vital, vital component to this hiring process in that, yes, CEO, leader, I think that's huge. But then just underneath that, your plan for making sure that the quarterback that we draft is in an ideal environment to continue to grow and prosper and not just have that growth be you know, predicated on one guy i.e. an offense coordinator, a quarterback's coach, whoever, because there will be staff turnover if you have success. Uh, that would be the other thing that I'd be hyper-focused in making sure is there during that uh, interview process. Do you believe, by the way, Mark, Meta World Peace, another one with the Ooh, Lakers. There you go. Um, you could have a lot of we're ages. them up now. <laughs> you could get Meta like four different ages throughout your career. That is that is true. And names, too. Um Kevin, do you believe when you talk about, let's begin with that in terms of a head coach that presumably is going to be working with a young quarterback. For coaching candidates, do you think that's of appeal or do you think, that like if you, Urban Meyer, went to Jacksonville because they had Trevor Lawrence coming in, period. That was the biggest selling point to get Urban Meyer to go to Jacksonville. So if you have what appears to be a can't-miss quarterback that you're working with, that's one thing, okay? But do you think because you know right now that Indianapolis is going to be getting probably the third or fourth quarterback in the draft, does that lead to just enough uncertainty at that position that coaches will be lukewarm about coming here? You'll probably have some a little hesitant. Sure. You know, look at Carolina. Um, I feel like Carolina's right there with Indy. In terms of the draft order, uh, Carolina's three spots ahead of the Colts right now. So if you get to the end of the year and Carolina's in a position that, you know, they can maybe get one of the top two and the Colts are not in that position, um, would the Carolina job be more enticing to some people? Um, I also feel like if the Colts end up at nine, where they're currently slotted right now, 
and to your point, Jake, they don't have the pick of the first two guys, then that quality that I was talking about and what you need to find in your next head coaching staff of quarterback development takes on even more onus. Right. Because you're not going to have the unquestioned number one or two prospect. You're going to have to. Um, And no matter where you draft the quarterback, of course, you're going to have to develop. You might have to do some more um, on that front. So I think that is something to keep in mind. I want to read you something that Gary just sent me. Kevin, I'll let you address it. Hey, Jake, why should Indianapolis fans care so much about Sean Payton's views of the Colts organization like he's above reproach? He's been a winning NFL coach, but he has stained his reputation with Bounty Gate. When he spoke of locally by the media, it's like he's owned some sort of reverence, owed some sort of reverence. He did coach an incredible quarterback for most of his New Orleans tenure. It's like listening to Urban Meyer and Reggie Bush sitting on college game day panels as if they don't have past misgivings. Do you think that Sean Payton is seen in a different light than other guys that would be available? I think when you look at the coaching candidate list, him and Jim Harbaugh are on a different level. And their NFL track record, their NFL resume would speak to that. And in Harbaugh's case, again, I go back to what, you know, Harbaugh went to a Super Bowl with Colin Kaepernick was a good player. I, I think people, because of the, you know, everything else involving Colin Kaepernick, people get focused on that and forget about his level of play. Was he a franchise quarterback? I don't know about that. But when he went to the Super Bowl, he was a good quarterback. Not great, maybe, but he was good. And Harbaugh probably gets some credit for that, does he not? Oh, Harbaugh and, had a hell of a four-year run in San Fran. Yeah, and, you know, knowing when to make the move from Alex Smith. I mean, there were a lot of things he did that were that were pretty good there, right? Three NFC Championship games in four years? It's pretty impressive. Without having that bona fide Patrick Mahomes, etc. There were a couple of Jeff Saturday quotes earlier in the week, Jake, that I feel like just kind of get glossed over because fans have checked out on the season. And if Frank Reich said these quotes, we'd be ripping Frank Reich to shreds. Uh, Asked Jeff Saturday on Monday about the lack of playing time for Jelani Woods. Jelani Woods played, I think it was like, it was less than a handful of snaps the first three quarters of the game. I'm thinking, is he like only needed for emergency duty? And then the fourth quarter comes around and he's like the walk-on in a blowout. They're just force-feeding him the ball every single play, it seemed like. Saturday called the flow of the game the reason why Jelani Woods did not play early on. Nothing like the old description of the flow of the game for Jelani Woods, the guy that just had 98 receiving yards, the most of any tight end by far on your team this season on Monday Night Football the week prior, does not see the field for more than a couple of snaps until the fourth quarter. If you have an emerging weapon, don't you use that to dictate the flow of the game? Without a doubt. Or how about a young guy that just showed up on Monday Night Football? He's a unique weapon. Uh, he drew a, penalty, a huge penalty in that game. He had eight catches on eight targets after that early drop. That made no sense to me. The other answer that I was left a bit dumbfounded by was asked him about Matt Ryan's right shoulder and if he feels like there's some limitations based off the film he saw of Ryan pre-injury. And he said he's unsure, does not ask guys about their injury situations. Yeah, come on, man. The quarterback has a right shoulder injury. He's 37 years old. He's played in this league for 15 years. He's been hit more than any other quarterback this season, and we're not going to sift deep into his injury situation right now? I mean, the velocity is obviously not what it was early in the season. That sounds like Jeff Saturday, the media person, 
saying, hey, guys' injuries are their own personal business. Once you become the head coach, it's your business too, right? 1,000% it's my business, <laughs> right. especially the quarterback. Right. The quarterback's... <laughs> The right-handed quarterback's right shoulder might be the most important body part of any body part on your roster. Well, that seems uncomfortable. Not ideal. (laughs) No, you're right, though. If that was Frank Reich, we'd be ripping him. Ripping him for both of those answers. Flow of the game for Jelani Woods not playing more early on? I don't ask my players about injuries. Is like that. I mean, I get it. He's probably saying that as an out so he doesn't have to answer the question, but come on. Yeah. Come on, right? Every player is going to lie. They're going to say, I'm fine. You'd be limping on the field, but you'd be like, oh, How do go. you not look at Ryan, though, right now and think that he is clearly limited? Yeah. I mean, well, and it's not like probably because, Kevin, I, I think you look at it and you know he's clearly limited because you know that's what you were getting. I mean, it's when you buy a car that's got 175,000 miles on it and it starts to squeak, you think to yourself, like, you know what? I took a chance, and unfortunately, this thing's got repairs that I'm going to have to put it back on Craigslist. I don't think you, anyone expected this big of a drop-off, though. And I, I think there's been drop-off since mid-September. Yeah. Late September. Yeah. I mean, he looks like a shell of himself. Shell. what he was at the with the Falcons. 8 o'clock. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey fam, I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey fam, I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in Hope Today. Cower here. Kevin Quarry on an overcast Wednesday morning in Indianapolis. Stephen Holder from ESPN.com is our next guest. He joins us right now. Stephen, any bye week plans? No, I uh, I was thinking about getting out of town. Just never materialized. So, yeah, I'm just going to lay low, man. And uh, I'm okay with that. We, all season. We, um... We saw some, I would say, pretty surprising news yesterday in the firing of John Robinson, the Titans general manager. Um, Firing of general managers typically you don't see in season, let alone with good football teams, let alone early December. What did you make of that? I thought it was really, really weird. And I know what the team is saying. I I guess I have to take them at their word, but I am extremely skeptical. They, They are saying... The owner's statement said that uh, they that he's done a good job, but they are you know they were worried about 
the, the trajectory and progress. And I think that's a fair uh, concern for the Titans, certainly. I mean, they have had a lot of regular season success, but they haven't won in the postseason. Uh, he has missed on quite a few first-round picks. You cannot do that, right? That is clear. However, come on, man. I don't understand. The timing of it for me is just bizarre. Uh, It's a distraction for a team that has a chance that's clearly going to win the division, has a chance to win the postseason, and I don't understand what you gain by doing it now, even if if you believe what uh, was said. Now, the conspiracy theorist in me, and this will appeal to Jake's heart for sure. Well, thanks. Uh, the conspiracy theorist in me uh, wonders if there's not some disagreement with him and Vrabel, right? I mean, I, I mean, are the are the Ohio State boosters calling? I don't know. I'm getting really far down the road here, the rabbit hole. But um, you know, are they placating Vrabel? I have no idea. I, I don't know. But you start wondering what what else is there going on that we don't know about? It, it was strange to me. You know, two things, Stephen. The first is it's unfortunate for him in this capacity if it wasn't the case, and that is that just human nature, maybe this is just America in 2022, when something untimely like that happens, I think people's immediate knee-jerk is that it was disciplinary. You know, well, something something oh, must yeah. have happened. What did he do? You know what I mean? And that's unfair, but that's kind of the reality. And then the second is Jeremy raised this point – earlier on Twitter to me, and I think it's a good point, and you just touched on it, so let's go there. Is it possible, and and clearly we don't know, but is it possible that because Mike Vrabel's name had, I mean, I don't even know with any validity whatsoever, but because it was whispered about when it came to Ohio State after they got beat by Michigan, if Ohio State was looking for a coach, did that somehow cause Tennessee to say, you know what, we got to do what we can to make sure that Mike Vrabel has no interest in going anywhere and therefore made a change. I mean, impossible to know, as you said, but, but that is, that's where my mind goes, though. I, I, I wonder, I definitely wonder. I would say, I saw a tweet yesterday from one of the, the Titans beat reporters, and I have to agree with it, and it said that uh, the, the, the Titans situation is such that the general manager has done a decent job in certain places, but the coach has definitely outdone him. Outperformed him, I think is the word. The, the coach, being Mike Vrabel, he definitely outperforms John Robinson. There's no question about that. I mean, I think he's a top five coach. You could argue that he's a top five coach in the NFL. That when you take what he has and what he's produced, what he hasn't done is won in the postseason, at least not at the level uh, that, that you would think for a team with the regular season success they've had. Uh, but, man, they are consistently winning this division now. And, I mean, they're a power. <laughs> they just aren't a, a postseason power. But, you know, listen, you play play the Tennessee Titans, you're in for a fight. And, yeah, I, I think that what happens when you have a situation like that is, I'm talking generally, but perhaps here, the coach now accumulates a little more power, right, because he's got the results. So it, it does beg the question. Thought that crossed my mind. Stephen Holder's with us here, ESPN.com. When I saw that news yesterday, was that's a GM opening. Mike Vrabel's head coach, Chris Bowers, very fond of Mike Vrabel. Um, nothing really more than that. I mean, it's purely speculative on my part. 
But as we sit here about a month away from the end of the season, Stephen, do you have any more clarity on what you think will be the 2023 fate of Chris Ballard? So I still think he will be back. I'm not basing that just on Jamersi saying it because he also said Frank Reich was safe. So, look, I'm taking that with a grain of salt, as I think we all should. But I, I still think he's back. I, I think that's the the likelier outcome. But uh, but I but I do think that things are so unusual right now with this franchise that I, I still think everything's on the table. I just do, and I, I think the coaching search is going to play uh, is going to have a big role in in how this works. You know, is is Chris Ballard going to get to pick this coach? You know, is is he going to be listened to? Is he going to have the, the voice that he wants? I we don't know any of those answers, and I think that is this is uncharted territory for Chris Ballard because you know he from all in, from all appearances he hasn't really been in charge lately, at least not on the the big consequential decisions. You know, the quarterback, the coach, <laughs> the interim coach, right? So those decisions were clearly. If not made unilaterally, they were driven by the owner. So it's a, this is uncharted territory. And Chris Ballard, I think, I don't know if we talked about this on this show. I can't recall, but I mean, Chris Ballard is a guy who 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 likes to be in charge, okay? And he carries himself like a guy who's in charge, right? You know, he is when he's in the room. You know, he's in the room and he's in charge. He's not a jerk, but I'm saying. He definitely projects a guy who, who is you know, a take charge kind of guy and and a decision maker. And when that is at least somewhat stripped from you, I do wonder where that leaves you in terms of you know thinking about your future. Stephen, let's let's do it this way. <clears throat> if okay, six months from now, do you believe that that Jeff Saturday is the head coach of the Colts in six months? No, I do not. Do you believe that Jeff Saturday is on ESPN in six months? Tougher question, but I think I think there's fifty fifty odds on that. But I, I don't know where he is. But I but I do think that's on the table. Yeah. Okay. Do you believe that it's fifty fifty or greater that Jeff Saturday is a member of the Colts organization in six months? Um. That's where I struggle. Hard to say. I I, I think, uh, as long as no one's holding me to this, um, <laughs> of course, no one ever does that. Um, I think, I think, yeah, fifty fifty. Yeah, I think fifty fifty. The reason I because, ask because because of because the owner is clearly very fond of him, and they've also offered him a job in the past. So there's enough smoke there that I could I could see it. The reason I ask is because does this become a situation if Jeff Saturday is not the head coach of the Colts where there's only comfortably room for one of the two between he and Chris Ballard? Isn't that a likely let me let me rephrase that. Isn't that a reasonable question to ask of well wait a minute, it it kind of feels like it would be one or the other as opposed to both. Or is that me being way overthinking it? I mean, I understand the question. I do. And and you're not the first one to kind of raise this 
topic in in general and in some fashion i think that the reason for the question is because we heard what jim mercy said about jeff saturday and we we heard about we, we heard the way he feels about him right so i understand where that comes from i i do you know is, is, is jeff saturday going to be in some sort of front office role is he going to be the, the decision maker on the front office side and chris ballard steps aside i don't i don't see that I, I just, I don't know. I just don't. I, I still think Jim Merce is really fond of Chris Ballard. I, I really do. I do think that is largely a true statement on Jim Merce's behalf. Um, I, I know when you see him stepping in and, and overriding from all appearances as, gen, as general manager, it, it makes you question that. But but I think that really has to do with just frustration, impatience, et cetera, on Jim Mercer's behalf and doesn't necessarily mean he's, he's not fond of Chris Ballard. Stephen, couldn't, couldn't part of – Stephen Holder, by the way, from ESPN.com is our guest. He's on the Payless Liggers Hotline. Could it be accurate to say that part of – not all, but part of what allows Jim Mercer to be fond of Chris Ballard is that so long as Chris Ballard is there – Jim Mercy, Chris Ballard is a general manager that will allow Jim, or excuse, Chris Ballard is a general manager that will allow Jim Mercy to make decisions for him. Not all the time, but at times, and that that's what Jim Mercy is comfortable with is a GM that allows Jim Mercy to continue to play GM, and he can do that anytime he wants. He's the owner, but I'm, but you get where I'm going there, right? Yeah, I, I, I would say I don't know if that's true. I, I don't. I'm now. The reason I say I don't know is because this is this is not the way Jamerce has has tended to conduct himself. You know what I mean? So so I don't know how their interactions have been lately. It, they definitely have been interesting, I imagine. And and Chris Ballard said they had a spirited conversation, which is South Texas code for "Are you crazy?" <laughs> you know. So you know when he when he said he was going to hire Jeff Saturday, that's that's how I interpret it. <laughs> but so I don't know. I, I, I just It's hard to say. It's really hard to say because this is just such a new territory for this, you know, for this team. Uh, this is, this feels like, you know, it feels a little like Bobber, say, in, to some extent. And that's not something we've seen for a long time. Now, I was told recently, and I believe this, I was told recently that, that Jim Mercer pokes his nose in more than we think. And that's probably true. I, I don't think he, he makes direct uh, decisions, but I think he makes a lot of suggestions. I, I, I think that probably happens more than we think, but I think this has also been different as well. Stephen, when the Colts get back to practice on Monday, do you anticipate any like depth chart changes of playing younger guys? Yeah. Um, <sighs> like I'm thinking again, a little bit more Jelani Woods commitment. Do you go back to Nick Cross? We haven't right. really seen a ton of the young defensive tackles they drafted in Curtis Brooks and Eric Johnson. Like those are some, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's too early. There's still four games to go, but I think that's an inevitable question anytime you're four, eight, and one. Yeah, I think I think for that to happen, I think that has to be something where where Jeff Saturday is influenced by another party. And the reason I say that, whether that party is the front office, owner, Chris Ballard, somebody, the reason I say that is this, because if you're Jeff Saturday, I mean, 
there's zero incentive for you to do that. Like none. You know, I, I think I understand. We, I think we even asked him about this. I, I understand the idea from an organizational standpoint right. of looking at the young guys. But part of me thinks that the Jeff Saturday, he doesn't give a damn about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this is his only coaching resume ever, at least that matters. And, you know, to, to then say, all right, well, we're going to throw in the towel and play these young guys, even if it's the right thing to do for him, it, that doesn't, that just doesn't motivate him, I imagine. You know what I mean? He's he's still out there competing and wanting to win because this is all he's got. I don't know. I don't. I think it would have to come from from above. I don't think he's going to naturally do that. Um, I think, frankly, him going from Ellinger to Matt Ryan a few weeks ago, I think, is the the evidence of that. Right? I mean, it's the first consequential roster move he made was to change quarterbacks. Now, Matt Ryan, you know, it is what it is. He hasn't played well. But I'm just saying at that particular time, that move was made uh, in, in an effort to, to jumpstart the offense. So, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't see it. I mean, I, I don't think it's impossible, but I, think, I don't think he's going to do it on his own. You think Ryan keeps his job? Now, I do think there's, there's reason to at least look at Nick Foles. And... And, and maybe that's maybe the, the argument I just made for why they won't play young guys is the reason you play Nick Foles because if you're really Jeff Saturday and you really want to go out there and compete and 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 see what you can do, well, the the, the one guy we haven't seen who may move the needle is Nick Foles. Um, I don't know. I, I I think that I think Nick Foles. Well, let me not say that. I'll say it this way. I think Nick Foles crossed some people's minds in the organization on Sunday night. Let's put it that way. Um, just that it didn't pull the trigger on it, but and I don't know how much it was discussed, if at all. But but I think let's just say I, I heard his name in the aftermath, and there was some there was some question as to whether they should have made that move I by thought, other people at least. I thought it was wild that Nick Foles didn't play a snap in the fourth quarter. Right. Exactly. I mean, like after the fourth turnover. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna wait till the seventh one. That'll be the breaking point. But Stephen, <laughs> how awesome is it? I mean, I think it's awesome. Actually, I think the Colts. To be truthful, the Colts need to raise a banner at Lucas Oil Stadium, that is like a split screen where the left side of it is the fake punt play in the Patriots game with Chuck Pagano, which is the greatest play in the history of the National Football League. And then the other side of the split screen is the Colts taking the victory formation down 35 in Dallas. How awesome is that? You go out I and mean, you just take a knee. It's just the best, right? That's legacy, buddy. That is legacy <laughs> right there. Hey, I was at dinner last night with a bunch of guys, and somebody asked me this question. I said, I don't know. I'll ask Stephen Holder. It's a really good one. Um, and, and look, I know that – the season has yet to be completed. I get it, but we are in the bye week, so this is what we do. Uh, Shaquille Leonard, he is or is not back next year. Uh, I think he, I think he is, just because you know they've probably got to let this thing play out. Um, the, the question is, what does he look like, and and does and, and if he's not the same player, does that you know at some point? heading into the 2023 season, does that force them to consider uh, whether he's a part of their future? So what I'm saying is I'm, I'm saying 
yes, but is what I'm saying. Um, I, I just think that so much has happened there physically that you gotta you gotta find out what what he looks like. You know, we gotta see it. You know what I mean? I mean, it's gonna be that's gonna be the third year of this thing. You know, of this issue. You know, sort of persisting if this if it carries over to next year. That is, you know, we're two years into it now. If we're still talking about this uh, in in the summer of 2023, and now we're talking a, a third year. I mean, that's that's Andrew Luck territory in terms of you know his shoulder injury in Andrew Luck's case. In this case, you know, the lower body ankle slash back for uh, Shaq Leonard. Just a, a really tough injury, man. And if he does. If Shaq Leonard, if they say, you know what, he looks healthy, we're going to go ahead and go with this, does that come, obviously, at the expense of other players that have played well, I think, in his absence that are free agents? I believe Okereke is up, right? Zaire Franklin has signed in, but Okereke would be up. EJ Speed, too. And EJ EJ Speed, yeah. Speed and Okereke, yeah. I I tell you, look, I I was – you're right, yes. The the answer to your question is, yes, his – the decision on on Shaq Leonard very much affects – uh, other guys, and I, I will tell you this: I was kind of lukewarm on Okereke before this season, in terms of you know whether he should be a guy they invest in. I, I was kind of like eh, agnostic about it. But I think he's played really well, and I think you got to really think about how you proceed there. I don't remember off the top of my head the cap implications on Shaq Leonard, and I'm not suggesting anything. We don't know enough to even suggest that he won't come back. But but if there if there are issues lingering. You have to consider, you know, the long-term impact on your football team. So, look, I mean, he's only two years into that massive deal, so there are going to be some cap implications if you don't keep him. So that complicates things. But just from a pure football standpoint, uh, they have been just fine at linebacker, even though they do miss the turnovers. Steven, last one from me. Uh, We had Seth Wickersham on to round out the show yesterday. Extremely in-depth piece. On Andrew Luck, the first on-the-record comments from Luck about his retirement. Uh, what were some of your thoughts on that piece? You know, so Seth and I have been talking about this for a while. I was, you know, dying trying to keep this secret. But um, the, what I took away from it, and this is what he told me, and he was a hundred percent right after reading the story. He told me, you know, it's just not a football story, and I could not agree more. It's a story about a, a guy dealing with identity. That's what it is. And and I think I recall that I had a conversation with Luck years ago that I will never forget. And it's still true to this day. And he told me how he was struggling to deal with the idea of, of fame and being famous and people recognizing you. It was weird as hell to him. He never really, you know, sort of got his head around it, you know? And I think eventually he got used to it, but I don't think he ever liked it. I don't think he ever thought it was normal, you know? And he, he talked about, I wrote in a story at, at the Indy Star years ago, and he, he talked about how, you know, like sitting in airports or walking through an airport and everybody looking at you was like the weirdest thing, right? Can you imagine Andrew Luck, you know, sort of socially awkward, et cetera, and, and you have to deal with that? So that's just one very, very, very small aspect of of all the things he was dealing with, but I think it it's a window into who we're talking about here. He was never really comfortable in that role. And and I think when when you felt like you weren't living up to who you were expected to be, it then complicated it even more. So I thought fascinating from that standpoint is why the story for me was fascinating. 
You know, I said last night, Steve, you and I chatted, and yeah. then I, I, I sent a tweet, but and I, I might have mentioned this this morning, I can't recall, but to me, the summary of the article was that Andrew Luck came into the NFL with expectation of being a Peyton Manning, Tom Brady-level performer and competitor, and then, and everybody expected him to be like the next Tom Brady in terms of his accolades. But in reality, he walked from football because he didn't want to be the next Tom Brady. Because what do we see in Tom Brady, who's a wonderful player? No question. But by all account, apparently it cost him his marriage. It cost him already like one relationship. And I think Andrew Luck just said, and I'm not saying Andrew Luck cognitively thought of it, but he thought to himself, basically, I don't want to be there. His, his, His relationship was in trouble. His... His relationship with himself was in trouble, and he didn't want to be somebody who felt like that to be able to perform, he had to be a completely isolated narcissist. Yeah, I mean, I think his his admission that football made him this person he he did not want to be, uh, when Nicole, his wife, she basically reveals in the article that, yeah, I was going to leave his, you know, I was going to leave this guy because he was absolutely miserable. And that is, I mean, that tells you everything you need to know. If you can, if you can read that and still feel like I hate this guy, <laughs> you got to look in the mirror, man. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. I totally get it. He he picked his his life, his his family, his well being over football, which is a totally reasonable decision. Um, Stephen, ESPN dot com. Enjoy. The off time, I guess you will, right? I mean, it doesn't come very often during the season, but certainly appreciate you taking time with us this morning. I'm sure you have, you know, you could have slept in, right? And you should have been on a beach in the Caribbean. Uh, yeah, I missed opportunity, man. <laughs> but Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Did you know St. Jude has one of the largest pediatric sickle cell programs in the country? St. Jude freely shares the discoveries they make, and every child saved at St. Jude means doctors and scientists worldwide can use this knowledge to save thousands more children everywhere. Join me today in helping to fight sickle cell disease by becoming a partner in hope. Call now, 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Hey, you know, what else would I be doing? Right, If exactly. I wasn't doing that, I'd, I'd like to spend it with you guys. Thank yeah. you, Stephen. All right, see you guys. It is 9 o'clock, the 9 o'clock hour in Indianapolis. Technically speaking, it's a 9 o'clock hour everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. My name is Jake Quarry, Kevin Bowen, the other voice you hear on this program, Mark Dykton manning the ship for us. It's Kevin and Quarry on 93.5, 107.5, the fan. Pacers in action tonight. And a happy in birthday to Mark. Happy 37th birthday. Thanks, boys. The Sean Alexander birthday? Is that yep. what we're going with? Yeah, I think we'll go with that Over one. the Meta World Peace? Yeah, I think so. I still think you should go with Lester Hayes. but I think all 91-year-olds should save the Meta World Peace <laughs> birthday for that <laughs> one. True. I think that's when I'm going to do it. Yeah, You are correct, though, that for Meta World Peace, you can actually do 17 different birthdays, right, with right. his jersey number. I'll sign um, up for work to Best Buy to get the discount in honor of Ron Circuit Artest. City. No, it's Best Buy in Chicago. Circuit City. Oh, I think you're wrong there, sir. How much would you like to wager on this? Oh, jeez. It's his birthday. How much do I want to win? Let's see. I mean, wow. one eight hundred nine with it. <laughs> Both of you two seem very confident in this. How about how much we'd win if we bet the Heisman favorite right now? Forty five cents. 
you know what? Alex Golden may remember this. Alex Golden, who is going to join us next. He's here. He's ready. Um, is joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Setting the pace is the podcast. Alex, do you recall, was it Circuit City or Best Buy where Metal World Peace, then Ron Artest, applied for a job? Well, I think I think it was Circuit City, Jake, uh, if I remember correctly, here in Indiana. But I'm reading the story right here. did say in Chicago. It was Best Buy. I don't know about Chicago. Yeah. Ron Artest applied for a job at Best Buy during his rookie season to get employee discounts at a Best Buy in Chicago. Okay, here's ESPN.com. Oh, Ron Artest, this the NBA player, radio. applied to Circuit City during his rookie season with the Bulls just to get the employee discount. Maybe he applied for both. I know I would have done the same. In Circuit <laughs> he City might have. Maybe it's kind of how people right? go with the gambling apps, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just go with multiple ones. Boy, Alex, aren't you glad you joined us today? We both win. <laughs> I am glad. It's, uh, it's always fun to talk about Ron Artest, right? Hey, uh, let's shift it actually to current Pacers, and we'll begin with the... I guess the topic du jour with a 31 per point performance and what we saw in Golden State which was so impressive from Andrew Nimhard look somebody had to score points and he was able to do it but I think it's just his unflappable nature that is so impressive Alex mm-hmm. but I don't know how to say this I don't want to say he's at fool's gold because they won a huge game and he's playing well but does that qualify as, look, a lot of guys were out and somebody had to score, and so he did? Or is this a guy that is showing that he was vastly overlooked in the draft process and is, in fact, a guy that once teams are aware of him and have tape on him is going to be a long-term scorer in the NBA? Yeah, I don't know about long-term scorer in the NBA, but I, I, I do lean towards he's a really good player that's going to be impactful for this Pacers young core. Uh, for a long time, and I, and I really do believe in his game overall. Just watching him play, uh, you know, Rick Carlisle's raved about his, uh, you know, basically inability to get rattled by anything. He just is so poised, not afraid of the moment, and I think, you know, that confidence in himself and his ability to play well in tough situations so far this season, it's it's something that we can look forward to to being maybe the norm for him. So. I don't. I don't see him as a scorer, uh, more of a pass first kind of guy that uh, gets others involved because he has such a, a good eye in terms of court vision and has such a nice uh, ability to throw lob passes to, to elite lob threat players like Isaiah Jackson. So his game is just very well rounded, and uh, he didn't even talk about his defense. I thought you could make the case that he might have been the best defensive player as well against the Warriors in that game. So. I just feel like Nimhard uh, definitely going to look back on this and feel like the Pacers got to steal the draft. By the way, Alex, just so you know, to show that you and I are on the same page and that we are of great minds that think alike, uh, here it is, 2015 article, ESPN.com. Ron Artest, I was bored. I was partying a little too much. World Peace, then known as Ron Artest, told ESPN's Highly Questionable on Tuesday. I was trying to find easy ways to stay grounded, so one thing I did was apply for a job at Circuit City. Yeah, that sounds right. Mark, where's my 40 cents, bro? I've got an article here that says he applied at Best Buy <laughs> well, I've the, got with it the Bulls. Straight out of Ron Artest's We mouth. call this a push. Mark, in the gambling why world. don't you log Jake out of his computer like it typically <laughs> he is usually to does start that every himself. show? <laughs> I can't get in. What happened? <laughs> Alex Golden was with us. And I'm sure setting, thrilled to be. <laughs> setting the pace. A must listen to a great Pacers podcast. Um, he's with us here on this Wednesday morning. Uh, on the Nemhard front, like big picture, Alex, I kind of view him as this. 
Matherin and Halliburton, obviously going to be two cornerstone pieces, two starters. I'd like to put kind of a pure shooter with them in that starting lineup. I still think you need kind of a wing, you know, kind of a big wing defender at that four. Um, but I think Nemhard as like six man can do a variety of roles with that second unit, can close out games when you need to. Like you said, he can bring on the defensive end. He can obviously handle the ball if you want to offensively. That's kind of how I envision it. Um, if you were to look a little bit big picture with him, how do you view things? No, I think you're you're right on the money there, Kevin. I, I think really for for Nimhard, he's playing in the starting lineup one because he's a good defender. Two, it gives them a secondary playmaker, which I think they need. But three, they have T.J. McConnell, who really can't do anything off the ball and be that impactful, especially offensively. Now, defensively, we know McConnell can you know get in there and be a pest, but offensively, McConnell's best when he has the ball in his hands, and so. You know, it's kind of tough to play play Nimhart as the backup point guard right now and to kind of eliminate TJ from the rotation. So, big picture, though, you have to think eventually that second unit is going to be Nimhart's to run because we saw against the Warriors what he can do when he has the ball in his hands more than, than just kind of being a secondary playmaker, a guy that's setting screens and, and getting in the middle of the zone and, and trying to play the playmaker there. It's like, no, this guy can really do some special things. And I, and I think that's what his long-term goal is. But, yeah, I, I do believe even if he isn't a starter, right, which which is a, a big picture thinking here, I do think he's that good defensively and offensively where you can trust him to put him in that final five and close out games. And I feel like the Pacers have already done that this season. A lot of the times he's been that fifth guy with Mather and Heel, Turner and Halliburton when they've closed close games, and it's worked out pretty well for him. Alex, Rick Carlisle's been pretty generous with his rotations in terms of kind of getting everybody involved throughout this, um, you know, seeing exactly who they have this season. And then, of course, you know, they've played well, and this is a group that likes each other. We're about a quarter of the way in now. Is there a player, maybe there are two, that you look at and say, it appears as though they've kind of been squeezed out of the rotation here and they're not getting the minutes that I expected? Yeah, I think the first one that comes to mind has got to be Terry Taylor. I mean, everybody talked about Taylor being, you know, this really impactful guy. I mean, Chad Buchanan came on your guys' show and talked about him. Uh, we've only heard great things about what he does, but then the playing time doesn't reflect that. So I think he's a guy that's on the outside looking in. And once Chris Duarte comes back, I'm really curious to see what they do with O'Shea Brissett's minutes because O'Shea was out of the rotation. He's finally got back into it and I thought he's played really well since he was put back into the rotation and I feel like Aaron Neesmith while he's been a good defender uh, he's been a guy that I've not been super impressed with so far this season so I'm kind of curious where they slide Duarte in and whose minutes get adjusted there but uh, Terry Taylor for sure and I think the obvious one the other guy that's not really been playing a lot is a go-go but at this point I just don't really think he's got a long-term future with the Pacers especially with how many bigs they have so those would be the Taylor and Goza would be the two guys I think that um, you know have been out of rotation the most, but Taylor the most surprised. He's at Alex Golden NBA on Twitter. Alex Golden with us right now on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Uh, we're about two months out from the trade deadline. Um, we're about what a month and a half, probably two months into the regular season. What if any has changed for you on the Miles Turner and or Buddy Heald trade front? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, for me with Turner, it's always been this. If he fits and he wants to be here and you can come to an extension, uh, you know, he's not too old that he can't be a part of this core moving forward. 
But if he doesn't want to be here or if he wants to test free agency, he can't lose him for nothing. So you got to keep an eye on that. I did find it interesting yesterday. I think Zach Lowe mentioned it about three different times on his podcast that there could be talks between the Pacers and Turner extending. Uh, he just kind of casually threw it out there a couple times, so I'm not sure if he's got any concrete, uh, you know, reporting behind that or if it was just him thinking out loud. But it did seem like he maybe knew that they could be interested in coming to a mutual agreement, which I'm not so sure was the case, obviously, in the offseason after they approached the DeAndre Ayton, uh, the signing there. So with Buddy Heald, it is a bit of a logjam back there at the guard position, and I think that's where it gets kind of interesting. But I do like what Buddy's brought to this team, even though he's in a bit of a shooting slump. I think he fits well with what they're trying to do. So you don't have to trade him unless you find something you really like, and that's kind of how I felt this whole time. But eventually Mather needs to be a full-time starter at the shooting guard. Don't let his fit next to Buddy. So ultimately the bigger picture here is maybe if Buddy's not willing to come off the bench and, and play a lesser role as Matherin kind of grows into that starter, you look to trade him and see what you can get. But uh, as far as Turner and, and Buddy together, I mean, I, I think you just – you can't get – so I think Bob Kravitz said it best. He came on our podcast and said this. You can't fall in love with the early season success of this team and, and lose sight of the bigger bigger picture. You have to make the right moves to help your team get ready for – eventual playoff contention in the next two to three years i feel like alex and you tell me if this if this is parallel with what you kind of hear or the feel that you get but i feel like with miles turner he's you know he's a really good player and he really plays well with what the current installment of the pacers roster is and in the end i think that miles turner may look at it and say my style of play is really kind of suited and catered towards what they have now put on the floor in Indiana. And my style of play is such that it doesn't just automatically get plugged in elsewhere. It has to be a pretty unique circumstance for what I bring to the table to be able to thrive. And perhaps Indiana has that better than elsewhere. Do you agree with that? I mean, I think you can make a case for that for sure. Because I don't really see another team that's really kind of, especially one that trades for them, that's going to make him as much of a focal point as the Pacers have early on in this season. Because we've seen Miles have some really good games here and be really efficient. Now, there's been also some stinkers here on the road trip where he's not played great. Uh, thought he got outplayed by Sabonis and the Kings and thought he got outplayed by Zubac and the Clippers, uh, clearly in that one as well. So, you know, for, my, for me with Miles and his figure with the team, eventually he's going to go back, I think, in terms of uh, – pecking order in terms of how he's used. And I really think he has to think long and hard about, yeah, this might be the style I want to play, but what's the ultimate goal here? Is it to win and be in the playoffs, or is it to be on the on the Pacers, a team that's tried to trade me for the past three to four seasons? And I just don't ever feel like there's that uh, commitment. They don't feel like they're, the two sides are committed to one another. It always feels like it's kind of been an up-and-down relationship in terms of commitment-wise. So, Turner has to think about that as well, uh, just knowing they're in the middle of a, of, a, of a retool, whatever you want to call it, as well as the the relationship in terms of not being always on the same page with uh, wanting to, to stay together. So I think if Turner likes it here and he's okay with you know knowing that he could be involved in trade rumors even more, then then cool, find that find that right deal and get together and, and see what this team can be because. Rim protection is huge. You need it. I'd still like them to be more effective on the glass, but don't think a 39% three-point shooting is sustainable for him. 
but the style of play is uh, catered more towards his style. And always have to throw this caveat there. Sorry, last thing. Uh, this is a contract year. Will this level of play stay at that high of a level in a non-contract year? Alex, the days of wobbling for Webb and Yama um, seem a bit, <laughs> you know, in the distant, distant past <laughs> at this point. Uh, but at the same time, it's never too early to talk draft. And if water does indeed find its level and look at the schedule coming up, um, even though the Pacers can be back at home, it's still much, much different than what they had in late October, early November. You know, I think we expect the Pacers to level out a bit. And if they do miss the playoffs, of course, then you're in the lottery. And uh, considering the rebuild that you're undergoing right now, that would not be the worst thing in the world. Uh, other names that you're keeping an eye on, non-Web and Yama division, as, again, we start to look towards the draft. The guy that I like is the Thompson brother that you've brought up before, the guy who can guard better than his other brother. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a Min Thompson can do that pretty well. It's uh, it's really fun to watch them play. Uh, I know they're an overtime elite, which is a little bit different than the G League. So, you know, a Min and a Sore Thompson are two really interesting wing-level players. Uh, Cam Whitmore is another name that I'm looking at. I know another player that's kind of come up recently is Brandon Miller out of Alabama. You know, just looking at is Whitmore Villanova. Yes, he's at Villanova right now. So. I know. I don't think he started off the season playing because he had an injury was coming back from. But I think he was back now. I haven't had a chance to watch too much of his game uh, this this season. But I know that he's been in my top five in terms of like my preseason rankings. So a lot of people high on Cam Whitmore. I just think he's a smart player. He's a wing, and that's what this Pacers team needs is just wings and, and, and guys that can play the the small forward, power forward. I mean, you can only play Mathern and Buddy Hill at the, at the power forward and small lineup so long. Uh, before it eventually comes back to bite you in the butt, specifically uh, in the playoffs. And this is where I think you've got to get some size out there. Uh, it was it was actually really interesting to watch Kendall Brown play uh, against the Warriors just because you're like, wow, it's nice to have a wing out there that can move and have some size. So uh, hopefully one with a little bit more skill than, than Kendall Brown, not just you know athleticism, but more offensive skill in, in terms of being able to add that to your, your team. But, yeah, I think the Pacers, like you said, this schedule, man, it's uh, – it's been a blessing in November. It was really nice, and I can't believe how many games they had off and how many they had at home as well. So it's going to be tough, and this road trip feels like maybe how the rest of the Pacers season will go. You'll have some nice wins in there, but you could be looking at some blowout losses as well. You know that Thompson Twins. I, I was a big fan of them in the 80s, Thompson Twins. Did you like them, Kevin? Mark? What? Are you guys not up on your new wave 80s music? You mentioned the Thompson twin, the Thompson brothers. Do you not like the Thompson twins? Am I the only one that, that when you mentioned the Thompson brothers, thought of the Thompson twins? Got twin? a professional on the line here, and this is how we are, we are treating them. <laughs> Alex, do you remember the Thompson twins? I've heard of them. I feel like I've heard some uh, references, references about them on Saved by the Bell when I watch that, but Action. don't really know any of them. Well, I'm going to go get my Metamucil <laughs> Alex, now. You don't need to pity Jake at all there with that. <laughs> I'm just saying. 5-0 and oh in back-to-backs this year for the Pacers. That's kind of a wild stat. The advantage of being young, I would say. That's yeah. part of it. And, uh, you know, like the Warriors, they were on their third game in four nights, too. So, I mean, not an excuse for them if we can beat them with uh, a depleted roster, but just saying, you know, if we're playing other teams that are on second half of back-to-backs as well, uh, I give the edge to the young guys just because uh, they don't have as much wear and tear on their body yet. Alex Golden, setting the pace is the podcast. Did we? What did we decide? Best buyer, Circuit City for 
on our test. Push. It was both. It's not a push. push. It was yeah. a push. How's it a push? push I've got a front. direct quote from Ron Artest saying I've got one I here. worked at Sir. I think Alex was our there? third party. I thought he was the one to decide. Alex, what what as you be Judge Wapner here. Another eighties reference no one else gets. Uh which is it? Well, not to disappoint the birthday boy, but if Ron Artest said it was Circuit City, I mean, how can you go against what the man said himself? Well, good time having Alex Golden on. <laughs> His last By the way, Alex, I just saw your DM. Um, yes, I will do the podcast with you. Thank for thank you for asking. Yeah, no Look problem. It'll be it'll be fun, and you can tease that all you want too. It'll be uh, just on the YouTube. So do some uh, what Pacers song or what Pacers player reflect Christmas songs. Always try to do little fun things like that around the gimmicky holiday. Right up my alley, <laughs> boy. Nothing says Jake Quarry more than that one. Songs, baby. That's some backstage politics right there. Yeah, that was real shady. Yeah. Be on his podcast. <laughs> yeah. how it works. Well, the dad can sponsor the travel uniforms. All right, Johnny's on the team. <laughs> Hell right. yeah! You can always tell with those AAU photos, right? It's like, look, my my kid won nationals. So oh, really, okay. How many uniforms <laughs> yeah, did exactly. you buy? <laughs> All right, yeah. Alex. Thanks, man. Yeah, the segment for that podcast will be sponsored by Circuit City. <laughs> Hell yeah. See? <laughs> Alex well, Golden right there on the Payless Slickers hotline. Mark, so, uh, I noticed it on your birthday here, you're wearing your new shirt. Like and you're it. wearing the shirt I gave you, yeah. There you go. So are you guys back to being friends now that you're wearing those well, shirts? Well, it was Best Buy because I know for a fact there was a story in Chicago that on Ron Artest's Best Buy uh, application... He put GM Jerry Krause as a reference, and Best Buy called Jerry Krause and said, are you aware your rookie player has applied for a job with us? And he's like, what? And they asked Ron Artest, he's like, well, yeah, I wanted the, wanted the employee discount. How great is that? Do you think that, Do you think it's possible the whole thing's urban legend and that Ron Artest has told the story a few times using different stores? Maybe. I'll yeah. believe anything with Ron Artest. Yeah, anything's possible. Ron Artest, again, who once said to me, um, so do you have one of those little cards w- with your information on it? I go, you mean a business card? Yeah. So I hand him my business card in the locker room. He flips it over on the back, writes his number down, hands it to me and says, um, you can call me sometime if you ever go into like a movie or a birthday party. Okay. Did you do it either I time? I was going to say, did you call him? So I got back to the station and I tell Dave first, I'm like, dude, listen to this. It was before a game. So the Pacers are playing in the game and first is like, we got to call the number and see if it's really his cell phone. So we call the number. It goes right to voicemail and goes, uh, this is Ron. I'm busy trying to win a championship, so leave me a message. <laughs> okay. So it was really him. But I never did call and ask him to. Well, partially because, I don't know, I was like 37 at the time, and birthday parties were not necessarily in my repertoire. So, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like. Well, he could have been there at your 50th. <laughs> Can you imagine if I called yeah, Jumping out of the cake. <laughs>